The following audio is brought to you by Summerside Community Church in London, Ontario. For more information on Summerside, visit us online at www.summersidechurch.ca. You know, we're just two weeks into 2023, and everyone is hoping this year is going to be better than 2022, right? That's that's always the, the hope, is that maybe this year is going to be a little bit better. But many are wondering how long we have to wait before we see it getting better. Uh, the war in Ukraine doesn't seem to be slowing down or stopping anytime soon. Uh, the latest COVID variant XBB.1.5 is named Kraken, that terrifying beast from the, from the deep. It's supposed to be very dangerous. There are a number of people in our congregation that are facing health issues, and many of you have different health issues, and, and some uh, have no resolution to that health issue, and it's a, it's a very challenging time. For some families, they're going through relational struggles um, that don't seem to have any hope for being resolved in this coming year. Economists are warning us that we're into going into a recession if we're not there already. We don't know how bad it's going to be. We have to wait and see. So even though a week ago we turned the page of the calendar and we started a new year, um, things don't seem to be getting a whole lot better. And the fact that we have, that it is a new year, we're confronted with the reality that we're caught in a time in history for every one of us, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And it's that that time where we are called by God to hold on to the promise that he has given us that we have an amazing future to look forward to, but we still have to live in the mess of the difficult reality that we're currently in. You see, this has really been the story of God's people throughout history. I mean, throughout history, God's people have been struggling with the challenge of living in the present world that we're living in with all of its problems, and yet looking forward to a future that is a a future of great hope and promise. You you read the Bible. The book of Job is is quite a long book if you've never read it. It's a long book, and it's all about this man who went through incredible trials. I mean, sickness and death and family issues and and major problems, and yet God told him to wait. And eventually things did get better, but he had to go through quite a bit before it happened. Uh, you read the story of Joseph, one that we're going to see in our series. Joseph went through years of great pain and suffering, and yet God was in it, and God's, God had a plan, and eventually he was able to see that Even though people meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But he had to wait a long time. Uh, Many people like to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a great promise, and you'll see it on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What a great promise. But what most people don't realize is that in the context that that promise was given... The people of Israel had been conquered by Babylon. They had been taken a thousand kilometers away from their country. Probably had to walk the whole distance. A thousand kilometers, they're captives in Babylon. 
And Jeremiah gives them this promise from God, say, you know what, guys? I have the great future for you. But you know what? It's going to take a while. In fact, in a little bit, a little bit, in, in the same chapter, uh, God tells the people, you know what? You better settle down. You better make the best of it because it's going to be a while. What, what's it going to be? A, a couple of weeks? No. A couple of months? Maybe a year or two? No. God says, you know what? It's going to be 70 years. 70 years? But wait a second. I like the promise, but I don't want to wait that long. I, w- I want to, I want to see God's, God prospering me now. I want to see the future now. And God says, no, I have a plan. It's going to take a while. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to the promise that I'm making? You see, the reality that you and I face as followers of Christ is that we're living between the first and the second coming of Christ. Christ came the first time. He established his kingdom. He set out, he, he proclaimed that his kingdom, he was bringing his kingdom to the earth. He gave his life as a sacrifice to, to basically take away Satan's power, to break the power of sin and death, to offer forgiveness without any sacrifices, to offer it simply by faith, to provide for us an incredible future. And then he left. And he says, I'm going away. And while I'm gone, I want you to carry on the work that I started. I want you to be able to take this good news to the rest of the world. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But you are asked to do that. You're asked to live in between believing that the promise is there, that there is going to be an amazing future. And the key for us, just like the Old Testament saints, the key for us living in this time period between his first and second coming is found in this little word called faith. We live by faith. We're beginning an 11-week series in a book that, uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 uses the word faith more than any other chapter in the Bible. In fact, you can find it 24 times in this chapter alone. The book of Hebrews uses the word faith more than any other book of the Bible. But in this chapter, you find it repeated over and over again. And some of you are saying, we've done this series before, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It was 10 years ago. And you know what? A lot has happened in 10 years, hasn't it? It's time for a refresher. (laughs) And I understand this way better than I did 10 years ago too. And it's time for us to stop and to think, what is it that God is calling us to do? How is it that God is calling us to live in this time when we look at what's going on around us and things don't seem to be getting a whole lot better? I mean, we want to have a just a wonderful year, right? We start out celebrating the new year. It's a, it's a great year, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what what is in store for us. And in for those of you that aren't familiar with this chapter, the author of Hebrews that we don't we don't know who wrote it. It's just uh, it's some people think it was Paul. Not likely Paul. The language is different. We're, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews spends forty verses telling us about 16 characters that he names. And he says, I want you to remember this person and this person and this 16, that he, and then a whole bunch of them that he, that he sort of groups together. And then there were all of these people and he talks about them and what they went through and, and a whole bunch that he doesn't name. And the key throughout this whole passage is that they lived by faith. 
And we can summarize it by saying there were everyday disciples who accomplished the extraordinary. And for some of them, and when we talk about accomplishing the extraordinary, I'm not saying they, they all did amazing stuff, fantastic stuff. For some of them, the extraordinary was that they just got through the mess that they were in because God was leading them and they were living each day by faith. My prayer for us in this series is that each one of us would look at these individuals and how they lived and we would be able to see parallels in our own lives, things that we're going through similar to those. And we can understand how we are called to live by faith. And some of the things will be be familiar and other things won't. So let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews is near the, the end of the New Testament. So if you go to the book of Revelation, go back a few books, you'll get to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11. Now we need to set the scene by starting back in chapter 10 at verse 32. You see, in the chapters that are leading up to this chapter, in the first 10 chapters, the, the writer of Hebrews spends most of his time talking about Jesus, which we are not, we shouldn't be surprised at. But what he does in these first chapters, he, he talks about how Jesus is different then the Old Testament. Now you see that the, the name of the book is Hebrews because it was written to the Hebrews. These are Hebrews are, are another word to talk about the Jews. They're, we're writing to Jewish Christians. The writer is writing to Jewish Christians. And some of them, from what he says, some of them were tempted to say, you know, I don't know if Jesus is, is, is the one I should be following. I should go back to the Old Testament rules that I was following. I should go back to the old covenant. I should go back to worshiping at the temple, sacrificing the, the, the animals at the temple. And the author of Hebrews in the first nine or 10 chapters saying, no, Jesus is better. And he goes through and he talks about how Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the sacrifices. He's even greater than the high priest because he is the one who performs the ultimate high priest. And he, and he has spent the first 10 chapters talking about how Jesus is better and greater. And they better not turn back because they'll lose everything. So in chapter 10, verse 32, uh, yeah, verse 32 Let's, let me read it so that we can get the flow leading up to chapter 11, because you need to understand this if you're going to get what's happening. Chapter 10, verse 32, hear the word of the Lord. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Okay, so he's calling them. He says, remember, remember in the past what you went through in the past. Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You see, you see the passage here? He's, these, are, these people are tempted to turn away from what they were holding on to. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't turn away. And he says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. 
and I will take and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, if you notice in your Bibles, in verses 37 and 38, he has a quote. These, these are two quotes from the Old Testament, from one passage in the Old Testament. And the passage is, that he quotes from is Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. And beginning at chapter 11, then, the writer is going to talk about faith. Now, notice that in this quote, he says, the righteous one will live by faith. And then in verse, and then at the end, the last verse, we who are, live by faith and are saved. So he's, it's, it's like chapter 11 is a sermon that he's preaching from, from Habakkuk chapter 2. It's like he's saying, he's saying, okay, remember in the old, remember the prophet Habakkuk? Remember what he said back there? He says, now let me tell you about faith. And it's like in chapter 11, he's going to go through and he's going to give name after name. There's 16 named individuals and all these other ones said, this is what it looks like to live by faith. This is what God is calling us to do in this situation. Now, before we get into these individual stories, and you have to realize that for the Jews that were Jewish Christians reading this, you know, you mention a name, you mention Moses, you mention Joseph, you mention Noah. They say, oh, I know that. I, I know that story. I know that some of you probably don't know the stories, right? You, you, these are not familiar to you. So that's why we're going to take our time and we're going to go through section at a time and help you understand what happened in the Old Testament. That's what I like about this passage is that it lets us go back in some of these important Old Testament stories and learn about how, what, what is it that we can learn about how we live by faith from each of these stories? Now, before we get into the individual stories, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little introduction to the chapter in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. Now, let me, let's read that. Continuing on in chapter 11, verse 1. So he's just talked about faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, this really isn't a definition of faith. It's really a description of how faith shows up in our lives. This summarizes what faith looks like. And, and it's like, and what he says in these first two verses, he's going to say, okay, now this is what it was like in this person's life and in this person's life and in this person's life. Now, I want you to, I want to take us through these, these first two verses. And I want to look at it in three sections. Let's talk, first of all, about faith. What, what do we mean by faith? And then we'll look at those other two statements, the confidence about what we, the, the uh, co- confidence and the hope that we have and the assurance about what we do not see. And we'll look at each one of those. Think about faith, first of all. It's, it's common in our day to, uh, to hear people encouraging someone who's facing a challenge and telling them, you just got to have faith, right? You've heard that. Believe in yourself. Just keep believing. The question that you need to ask when somebody says that is, is faith in what? What am I supposed to keep believing in? You see, the assumption is that the act of believing is somehow powerful. And the assumption is just believe in yourself. You can do it. You just have to believe that you can. You have to be positive and think that you can do it. Now, 
I, I don't doubt for a second there's, there's power in positive thinking, okay? If I'm feeling good and I'm thinking positively, I'm able to do things that I wouldn't do if I'm feeling, you know, really negative and depressed. Okay, there, there's no, we're, we're not saying that po- positive thinking is not a good thing. It is a good thing. We, we, you should, you should strive to, I mean, Paul even says, think about things that are, that are good, that are true, that are lovely. But he is not talking about just believing in faith. He's talking about believing in something. Um, faith is only as powerful as the object that you are trusting in. When you came in today, you came in, you decided where you're going to sit, and you sat down. You didn't stop to think, I wonder if that, if I can trust that chair. I, you know, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, okay. You just believed, you, you had faith that the chair was going to hold you up. Now, what if I said, I'm going to sit in this chair. No, you don't see it. I, I believe, I believe there's a chair. <laughs> what's the, what's the difference? The difference is what is your faith in? Your faith is only as good as the object in which you are placing your faith in. So then you say, so when, when somebody says, believe in yourself, it's only as good as the object you're putting your faith in. If I said, I'm going to become an NHL hockey player and I'm going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I believe it. I believe it. Can I do that? Is, is my faith, is my faith going to do it if I, if I have enough faith? Well, I'd have to learn how to play hockey first. <laughs> you know, you see, your, your faith, if your faith is in yourself, then it's only as good as you are. Like, like it, it doesn't make sense. This is not what the, the New Testament is telling us about. The Bible gives us a very different perspective than what most people have about faith. You see, faith in the Bible is always a response It's a response to what God has said and what God has done. It's the way in which we respond to what God has revealed. God has revealed that he exists and he's revealed to us what his will is, what he wants from us. And he calls upon us to respond to him and to respond in faith. So we respond in faith. We respond to what God has revealed about himself. Now, think about... um, the way some people have faith in an object, like uh, a rabbit's foot. When I was a kid, you know, having a rabbit's foot was like a lucky, lucky charm, right? So some people carry a rabbit's foot around their pocket. Or uh, maybe they have some other object that is their lucky object. Uh, when we were in Quebec this last fall, you, in, in Quebec and, and in other countries too, I've seen this where cars will have a little um, image or a little coin or some kind of metal and you look at it and say, oh, that's St. Christopher. St. Christopher is the saint for travel. And, and so they believe that by having the saint either on their dashboard or hanging on, their, uh, hanging on the mirror, that's going to keep them safe because St. Christopher is the patron saint of travel or safety or I'm not sure exactly what it is. Now, why would you put your faith in a rabbit's foot or some other object? Because somebody said that, right? Somebody said, this is what you can believe in. And so he said, okay, I'm going to believe what they said and I'm going to, I'm going to put my faith in that. You see, somebody told them to believe it and they did. So the question to you is what are you trusting in and who said that what you're trusting in is something that is really something you should be trusting in? Who told you to put your faith in that? 
So if somebody says, you know, this, see this little coin I got? You, you take this, it'll, it'll make you better. So why are you trusting in that? Is the person that has claiming that somebody who is trustworthy? Do they have authority to say that? Now, the logical question we need to ask ourselves is, who are we trusting? Say, well, yeah, we're trusting in Jesus. How do we know that he has the authority? I mean, is, our, is, is it blind faith? Just like somebody believing that the rabbit's foot works? Or, or do we have a reason <clears throat> to believe that Jesus is trustworthy? Do you know why Jesus came to earth and grew up and then spent three years doing miracles and raising the dead and healing the sick and calming the storm and feeding the five thousand? You know why he did that for three years? To demonstrate that he was the son of God and you can trust him. And then the greatest miracle he did was dying and coming back to life, proving that you can trust him. And when he says, believe in me and believe in my father, you can do it because it's, he has the authority to say that. He is the one that has, has given us the, the reason to believe what he has said. Now, in light of that, let me give you a simple definition, my favorite definition of faith. And here it is. Faith is taking God at his word and putting it into practice. Faith is simply taking God at his word and putting it into practice. God has revealed, God has spoken to us. We take what he has said, we put it into practice. So God has said it, I believe it, and I do something about it. It's not rocket science, okay? This isn't like some complicated, no, it's very simple. If God said it, it's true, I need to believe it, and I need to do something about it, I need to respond to it. And all the examples that we um, are going to look at in this passage are examples of God revealing something to people, asking them to do something, and they took God at his word and they put it into practice. They believed it and acted upon it. Now, we need to remember that we're jumping into, into chapter 11 and all the chapters before this are talking about how great Jesus is. So even though it doesn't say faith in Jesus the writer of Hebrews is assuming you've read the first eight, first ten chapters and you know that Jesus is greater than everything and our faith is in Jesus. So it's an, it's trusting in Jesus to be the one that has, has done what, what he's promised and we can trust him. So the challenge is to have faith in Christ, the son of God, the one who gave his life, sacrificed, went into heaven, gained victory over sin and death. You can take him at his word. You can act upon it. And risk everything that he says. And that's why Jesus says, leave everything, come to me. Die to yourself and you will have everything. We can risk it all for him. Now, the writer goes on to describe faith in two ways in this verse. The first one is that he says the faith is confidence in what we hope for. That word confidence is an interesting word. And if you have a different translation, you may have a different word because translation bible translators translate this using different words because the word has different nuances to it so um, it can be translated as the assurance of things hoped for or the reality of what we hope for and the translators are trying to communicate the the sense of this word and what's interesting is that this word is also used for a collection of documents that were used to prove something. 
um, like the owner to prove ownership, to establish ownership of something. Um, so it has the sense of a guarantee. Now, let me give you an illustration to, to help you to understand that. Imagine that you went on vacation, came back, and there's a guy living in your house. You say, hey, buddy, what, what are you doing here? He said, oh, he says, this is my house. Said, no, it's not. It's, it's my house. He says, no, no, no. See, 10 years before you uh, moved in, my my grandfather lived here, and he said when he died, he was going to give me the house. So it's, it's, it's my house. Now, you would not stop and think, oh, no, I didn't realize that. I'm, you know, no. You'd say, no, I know. Why do you know this is your house? Why do I know it's my house? Because when I bought the house, I went through a whole process of a verbal agreement between the seller and the and me, the purchaser. And we agreed that if I give him a certain amount of money that, you know, the bank was obviously loaning me. If I give him the money that he was going to verbally agree to give me ownership of the house and we were going to get we got a lawyer to approve that that agreement was made and it got registered in the in the city of London at the land registry office. And I would just call the police and say, I've got a guy here that's claiming this is his house. It's not his house because I've got the paperwork to prove it. That's, that's sort of the, the idea behind this word. It's like there is assurance because there's some, there's, there, it's a concrete verbal agreement that was made proving that this is true and it's something you can be sure of. My documents that I have for my house, and now it's all electronic, right? But it, it's virtual documents registered on some computer. My documents prove, are the proof, the guarantee, the assurance, the confidence that I know that this is my house. Now, what is the confidence that faith has? I have the confidence that the house is legally mine because I have proof that an agreement was made, a verbal declaration was made, giving me the rights to the house. Do you realize that our faith is based on words that were spoken? The writer of Hebrews understood this. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 1. The very first first chapter, first verse of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews begins his book. He says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God has spoken. He starts out his book saying, God has spoken. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word and putting it into practice. And God has spoken. And throughout 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 the years, it's interesting that, you know, people have been creating gods. The most popular God in our, in our society, I think, is Mother Nature. It's like something, oh, Mother Nature's really mad at us. You know, there's this God. We need to somehow appease Mother Nature. We need to be careful. But in the, the, the Greeks were a little more sophisticated. You know, they had all kinds of other gods. They had Aphrodite, the goddess of love. They had Poseidon, the god of the sea. And there had to be a god over all the other gods. They had dozens of gods. And so they had Zeus, the king of gods. Now, all those gods are gods that that people said, well, this God exists, this God exists, this God exists, but 
These aren't gods that have spoken. These aren't gods that have revealed themselves to, to people. They're gods that people made up. And, and the only way you can find these gods, you have to go to a, go to a museum somewhere to see the statue of this god. The true and the living God is unique that he has spoken. And this is a foundational concept that you need to hold on to if you're going to have faith, the kind of faith that God calls us to have. God has spoken. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Genesis 1.1 begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He spoke them into existence. And then he speaks to Moses on the on on the mountain and he speaks to the children of Israel gives them the law gives them makes a covenant with them through words that are that are written down and are recorded for us in scripture God calls out Abraham and leads him to to tells him to leave his country and he makes promises to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and these promises become the foundation of their faith they're to believe what God has said and then even later, God speaks through the prophets and God gives the, tells the prophets to take what he says and he writes them down and we have a record of it in the Bible. The prophets have spoken. And then Jesus shows up in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Now God has spoken through his son. God is speaking. He has revealed himself to us. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And what Hebrews tells us to do is we need to respond by faith. We can have confidence in what we hope for. Why? Because God has spoken and his word is sure and he's proven it. Jesus has proven it with the miracles that he's done by being raised from the dead. And our hope and our confidence is in him. You can trust what he says. Now, not only does that give us confidence in what we hope for, the writer of Hebrews goes on to expand in the same point, sort of like saying the same thing slightly different in the next phrase. We have the assurance of what we do not see. The assurance of what we do not see. So we have confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. Now, the word he uses for assurance is different, but it also carries the word, the sense of it's a conviction. It's the evidence It's the proof of what we do not see. Now, what is he talking about what we do not see? Uh, The the initial thought is, well, maybe, you know, we see what's on earth here. So what we do not see are the things, you know, the heavenly things, the spiritual things, angels. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Because throughout this whole chapter, the things that the people do not see that they're waiting for are future things. So it's like, the things that we see are the things that we have, what God has done in the past. And the things that we do not see are the promises that are waiting to be fulfilled. The future things that we have not seen yet. You know, we, we've heard what he said. Now we're waiting to see what's going to happen. We're waiting for that. And it's like faith gives us the proof that because God has said it in the past, he's going to do what he said in the future. So faith gives us the ability to see the future with confidence, with assurance, with conviction. It's the proof that the future is going to happen the way God said it was going to happen because it's founded on what God has done in the past. Now, let me try to summarize this all for you here. When you think about faith, God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken. He has spoken in many times, many times in many different ways. 
He has spoken and we have a record of it. We have an authoritative record. And if you have any doubts to whether this is, whether this is really accurate, uh, talk to Pastor Luke. He's, he did a, he did his master's degree in, de- in, in answering those kind of questions. And he's studied all kinds of stuff. And there's all kinds of evidence to show this. It's amazing. The, the word of God that we have, that you can be sure that what we have written was what they had, what they wrote originally thousands of years ago. So we can trust that God has spoken. He has revealed himself to us and he calls upon us to respond, to respond by taking him at his word and putting it into practice. Very simply, take it out, take him at his word, put him into, put it into practice. Now, when you think about that, what that means is that if God is true, if what he has said is true, if I can take his word and put it into practice, that means I have confidence in what I hope for. I have confidence. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to guess about what, what my future is going to be. I don't have to say, well, I hope so. No, I can live with a sense of confidence that what God said is going to happen, that it is true. And to put it another way, we have assurance that even though I don't see the future, I know that what God said about the future is real. It, I, can, I can count on it. And then in verse 2, it says, that's what the ancients were commended for. Who are the ancients? All these people he's going to talk about in the rest of the chapter. All these people, this is how they live. They took God at his word. They put it into practice. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, I wish, I wish I had that kind of faith. But my faith isn't that strong. I wish I had that confidence, that assurance. But maybe you feel like your, your life is more described in terms of doubts, in terms of uncertainty, fear. How can your faith change and grow? Again, it's not rocket science. Because if faith is a response to God's word, to what he has said, then the first thing you need to do is you need to make sure you understand what God has said. And the more that I learn the Bible, the more I study it, the more confidence and hope and faith I have. Because then, yeah, wow. And the more you study it, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, this connects to this. Wow, I didn't realize that. It's like you, your confidence and hope grows because you're listening to the word of God. If you, if you live your life and ignore the Bible, you're not going to have, you're not going to have faith in God. Of course you won't because you're not listening to what he has said because faith is a response to what God has said. If you're not listening to what he says, you're not, you can't respond in faith. Your faith is going to be in something. I don't know. That's so you're going to be like, oh, just believe in yourself. Just believe in belief. Just, just have hope. Just be positive. No, our, our confidence has to be in something and has to be in the word of God, not some empty chair that doesn't exist. So get to know the word of God. That's why we emphasize get get connected in a community group where you're going to be challenged to to read your Bible, where, where you've got some friends that are going to check up on you. How's your prayer life? You know, how are you doing? Like, how, how are you? What are you struggling in? How can we encourage you? And you know what? Nobody's perfect here. None of these people that we're going to learn about were perfect people. They were all failing people that failed in some way in their lives or people that had faults. And yet God honored them because they took God at his word and put it into practice in spite of the mess that they may have been going through in their lives. So you need to get to know the word of God and then you need to respond to it. You need to do something about it. 
That's why we say, hey, if you're, are you a follower of Christ? He tells you to get baptized. So get baptized. Just do it. Like, do it. Uh, are, you, are you struggling with, the, you know, with your finances, whether you want to give or not? Just honor God with what he's given you. Just do it. If God is asking you to do something, do it. Uh, we need to respond. This is all about responding in faith. Um, do you have somebody that you're really mad at that, that you, just, you just hate? God says, love your enemy. Just do it. Find ways in which you can respond, put into practice what God has said. And the more you do that, the more your faith will grow. It's very simple. Very simple. It's, it's not, it isn't like there's some magic formula. It's very simple. You obey God, respond to him, and live by faith. Now, maybe for some of you, you need to take that first step. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, yeah, I'm still, I'm not sure about all this. You know what? Take a look at Jesus. If Jesus is real, if he came and he died for you and he rose again, you need to put your faith in him. It's start. That's the beginning. The first step of responding to God in faith is believing that Jesus Christ died for you as your savior and he died to give you new life. That's the first step. And once you do that, then you keep learning more about what God said and you keep responding to God. And the more you respond, the more your faith grows. We live by faith, which means every one of us needs to take what we're learning. We need to put it into practice. Whether this is your first step of faith or whether it's your 10,000th step of faith, you need to do it. Do it today. Do it tomorrow. You wake up in the morning, find out what has God said to me to, I need to, I want to, I want to learn more about what God has said so that I can put into practice what he's telling me. That's why we have classes. That's why we do things. That's why we have all kinds of events so that you can grow in your faith, but it takes you responding to what God has said. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made it in many ways so simple. You have spoken and you ask us to believe what you said and to put it into practice. And Father, we are so easily distracted by so many things in life that just make us think that maybe something else is something we need to put our trust and our confidence in. Maybe we need to listen to some other guru or some other authority when we need to keep coming back to the fact that you have spoken and it's been recorded for us in your word. Help us, Father, to grow in a desire to to hear you more, to hear what you've said to us, to read your word. And as we read to respond in faith, to put into practice the things you're calling us to do. It's not just in our minds, but we want to change the way we live. Help us to encourage one another to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.